Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story with your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Josh Albrickson. He is the president and co-founder of Cortex. Cortex is a health tech SaaS creating real ROI for post-acute providers while simultaneously enhancing patient experience and improving patient care. So I'm really excited to have him on as a guest and learn more about what he's doing. So with that being said, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Rodney, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to share and chat a little bit today. Nice. So yeah, let's just jump into it. Uh, Why don't you just give a quick background of yourself and how you actually got into the healthcare and health tech industry? Sure. Yeah, I think my path was probably a little atypical. Um, I started in a technology career. I graduated in information systems from BYU and joined a startup in the Utah Silicon Slopes tech scene called Intrata. At the time, it was called Property Solutions. And I really got to grow up there with my technology career, became an executive on their team and ran product management for a couple of years, ran services for a couple of years, which really taught me a lot about customer success, professional services, implementation, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I really loved my experience there, but uh, five years in or so, I... Uh, and I don't remember the book, but I read a book that said you should reinvent yourself every five years. And for some reason that hit me hard. Um, and I walked into my CEO's office and there's a lot more to the story, but and said, I'm, uh, I'm going to step down to become a nursing home administrator. Ooh, and big change. I think, yeah, it was a big change. I think, well, I know he thought that was very odd. You know, I was in a good role, a, a role that was respected and, high up in the company, compensation was good and walked away from that to become a nursing home administrator, which if uh, you're ever at Thanksgiving dinner talking about what you do and you say you're a nursing home administrator, that kind of kills the conversation. It's not nearly as sexy, but um, yeah, I did that. And so I transitioned to nursing home administration for two years. Um, Candidly, I was not good at it. And it was humbling for me to realize that there's a certain type of person that can succeed there. And it wasn't me, but The benefit was I really learned healthcare and specifically post-acute care. Um, And that enabled me to make the jump eventually to a startup at the time called Checkup, which is where I find myself now. We're now called Cortex. Ah, nice. So originally you started with a background in tech and then you transitioned over to healthcare. And I'm assuming you've seen a problem in the healthcare industry that there was no solution. So you went out and created one yourself, which is how you came across Cortex? Uh, Definitely. And uh, the real story of how Cortex came into my life was the founder knocked on my door of my office at a building I was running to sell me his product. And his product and solution was following up with my patients after we discharged them from the nursing home when they were recovering at home. He employed registered nurses to do that. It was very compelling for a variety of reasons. Um, And so I signed up on the spot and then six months later I joined him. And in a nutshell, to me, the kind of major problem that 
I was seeing was that continuity of care between all of the different stops that a patient has on their healthcare journey is very poor in the United States. You know, there are a bunch of silos and data lives in those silos and doesn't get transitioned between them. And in addition, providers only get a piece of the picture when they're providing care. That ultimately results in a lot of redundant care. And we do the same lab tests at every stop that a patient goes to, even though we could just share those. And it's a terrible experience for patients to kind of go through that. And if you've ever experienced telling your health story to multiple doctors, you know how painful that can be. But when you're elderly, which is the patients that we work with, it's especially painful and uh, difficult to share everything that you've gone through healthcare-wise. Nice. So you just created a platform that kind of just sped up the process for the patients so that they're not just consistently repeating their story over and over to a bunch of different doctors. You're kind of just allowing them to share once and share that data with multiple people. That's right. And um, that's how we think about it. Uh, When we sell our customers, that's not what we're selling. And I'd say that's been one of my biggest learning learnings in the healthcare space is there are so many stakeholders that depending on which audience you're talking to, there's a different value proposition, but absolutely for patients, I would say that the big benefit with what Cortex does is it helps get their patient information to the right provider at the right time so that they can make the best decisions. Um, And we can get into it later, but that is definitely not what we talk about when we're talking to our customers, the healthcare providers that we sell to. Okay. So as far as your customers, your target audience, like you created a platform that helps the patients, but you're really, your target audience would be who? Who would be your ideal target audience? No, great question. So we don't sell anything to patients today. Um, Our customers that pay us are skilled nursing facilities, home health agencies, and hospitals. We also uh, eventually plan to get into insurance plans and physician offices as well. Um, And the way that we think about our business is that we're working to make healthcare better for the grandparents of America. So we're very focused on the kind of 65 plus age range in the United States and connecting all of their providers on what's going on. So when we sell to a skilled nursing facility, primarily what we're selling is the follow-up calls, which is what I purchased back when I first met Riley, our founder. Um, And then also the ability to receive alerts whenever that patient goes to another level of care. And we sell that to home healths and hospitals as well. And then the kind of final overarching thing that we sell is aggregate metrics and benchmarks across all of those things. So we can help people understand, you know, how does your patient satisfaction compare against others? How does your readmission rate compare against others? And those aggregate metrics are really valuable as well. Okay. And you're you're able to track all these metrics directly through your platform? Yep. We built the platform from scratch. It's a completely custom web app. We do even have mobile apps for some of the more workflow oriented pieces that our customers use, but the reporting and analytics are all available in our our web app. Nice. Way to track the data. So you're not only making it easier on the patient, but you're also allowing the provider a deeper insight to the whole patient journey, not just when they're interacting with them, but after they leave and What's that follow-up looking like and how they're able to keep in touch with them? That's right. Yep, that's exactly right. Nice. So I know you have a background in tech and then you transitioned to healthcare and then you created this platform. But I know that you can't really 
I mean, not to say you can't, but how difficult it is to create something from the ground up. So can you kind of explain like who kind of helped you elevate this to where it's at today? Yeah. Um, I think the first takeaway is that I have never even to date started something completely from scratch because Riley, the founder, had started this and been running it for about a year before I joined. Um, and his story is fascinating, and I'm sure you'll have a chance to interview him someday. But he started this with Google Docs and Google Voice and a nurse that was a friend of his, uh, I think a friend of his sister's, and uh, found a nursing home administrator, not me, someone else, who would let him call some of his patients. Riley's a big believer in the lean startup and ultimately um, was able to test very quickly his hypothesis. And that was that following up with patients would be valuable over the phone. I joined about a year into that and really brought to bear my technical experience of building a platform. It wasn't really a platform when I joined. Um, it was kind of this uh, hodgepodge of, of, you know, things that he tested that we needed to turn into a product we could sell. Um, and then my healthcare experience, including my network of people that I knew that I could sell to early on. Um, I will say, though, that joining a company, I have three kids and a wife, um, joining a company that at the time was basically making no revenue um, was very scary for us as a family. Um, it's been hard at times, completely fun and exciting at others. And, um, you know, we're just excited to be at the spot where we are now. Nice. So really, you had to take a, a big risk and a big sacrifice, and it's looking like it's paid off. So. Yeah. I mean, so far so good. And I think the biggest milestone that we've hit recently that we're thrilled about as a company is we're now cash flow positive as a company and self-sustaining, which in the midst of COVID-19 and everything going on, I think that's a, you know, a pretty incredible spot to be. We feel a lot of security where I know other companies just haven't quite got to that point. And it's a little scary um, to only be relying on investor dollars right now. Nice. So, I mean, from my perspective, that kind of shows that what you've created is actually valuable in the market to where something as crazy as the COVID-19 can be happening and you're still being able to be cash flow positive. Yeah, so, so we feel the same way. And we're also trying to help our customers even address COVID-19. I mean, you've probably seen in the news that nursing homes like the nursing home in Washington have been hit really hard with this. Elderly patients are hit especially hard with SARS-CoV-2 and then the COVID-19 illness. And so we're working hard to make our products work for them in those situations, which has also been uh, pretty awesome that, you know, we can contribute in this moment of crisis. Nice. So are you just like educating the patients on the virus or how are you being able to provide value with that? Yeah. So two major um, initiatives right now, and I think this will expand over time. The first is that employees represent two major risks. The first is that uh, currently the cases that have happened in nursing homes, the virus was brought in by employees. Um, and most people don't know this, but employees in healthcare often work multiple jobs between different healthcare providers. And so if they're in one building or place that's infected and they don't have perfect sanitation, they might end up bringing the virus in. So um, part of this is just education. We have an employee survey tool that's built into our system that we can both push messaging out to employees and survey employees to make sure they understand, you know, what are proper infection control policies and procedures, that kind of thing. 
The second is, uh, well, related to employees is also employee morale. It's really scary to be a healthcare worker right now. I mean, you're potentially going to be around this virus. The rest of us get to stay home. And so surveying your employees for morale and making sure that they're happy and engaged and have the tools they need to succeed and the training they need to succeed is really, succeed is really important. So that vector of kind of employee engagement um, is the first. The second one is with our follow-up calls, we are surveying patients and asking them about the symptoms that could indicate they might be infected, as well as making sure they know who to reach out to if they do have symptoms and making the healthcare provider that they were just cared for by available to them if they have questions. So that kind of proactive outreach to patients is the second thing that we're doing. Nice. So reaching out to patients and then also employees. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. So being able to kind of put together your tech and healthcare backgrounds to create this I know you have to have some sort of entrepreneurial spirit. So have you always been entrepreneurial or did something just kind of push you in that route? You know, that's a great question. I, um, when I went to college, my dad really wanted me to get an accounting degree because he said it'd be a stable job and, and good way to provide for a family. And, um, candidly, I just didn't keep my grades high enough to get into the program. (laughs) And so I ended up, thinking hard about, well, what else do I love? Well, I grew up loving video games. Why don't I do something kind of computery? And I know that sounds very basic for a college student, but that's literally how I ended up in information systems. Now, I think one attribute about me that's unique is I'm opportunistic. I'm always looking for ways to kind of leverage and maximize opportunities that are put in front of me. And when I got into the program, I realized how cool and valuable what I was learning was and immediately formed my first company in college, which was a website building business for small businesses, mm-hmm. um, and funded the last three years of my college doing that. Um, no one in my family is really an entrepreneur, um, but I've always just had this drive to create value. Um, I just have a desire every day to add more value and put more value into the world than I take out of it. And um, typically, when I've had just normal jobs where I'm employed by someone else, it's, it's hard for me to feel like I'm doing that. And so being an entrepreneur has enabled that. And I, I will say that when I left Entrada, that was some of what was going through my mind as well, is I just felt like I had tapped out on what I was creating. Even though Entrada is a fantastic company and people there are doing great things, I personally didn't feel like I was creating enough. Nice. That's interesting. So being like essentially the president of the company and putting together this team, and pretty much overseeing it all. Are you still doing like some of the tech work or are you more focused on the strategy and the systems that are in place to help grow the overall company? Yeah, this is probably more just an attribute of me than a recommendation, but I'm just a doer. So I code still to this day. We have a dev team of three and I'm one of those and I code 20 to 50% of the time given the week. Um, I also do all of our finances. I run our profit and loss and our income or balance sheet and uh, transact all of that. Um, I learned how to do that when I was running nursing homes and it's easy for me to be efficient at it. Um, I have my hands in the weeds on almost every new customer deal. Um, I have to say that I work pretty hard at not 
micromanaging. Um, so the people that do work for me or work at our company, I hope wouldn't feel like I'm a micromanager, but I am pretty involved uh, wherever I can add value. Um, my goal, obviously, is to hand off as much of that to other people and kind of multiply that value. Um, but our goal right now is to be, as a company, is to be self-sustaining. And part of that means not hiring. And um, we're not growing our headcount aggressively at all right now. And so all of us have to put on lots of hats. Nice. So how big is your team currently? Yeah, so we have um, 12 people. Four of those are part-time and then eight are full-time. Ah, nice. So, And then I should mention, we also have 400 registered nurses who make those follow-up phone calls for us. Okay. So they're just like, they're not part of your company, but you have a sort of affiliate or something with them? Yeah, they're contractors, just like an Uber driver is a contractor for Uber. Ah, okay. Nice. And so how are you able to manage, since you're keeping your team small, but you guys are still rapidly growing, how are you able to dip your hand in all these different facets of your business without feeling like overwhelmed? Uh, Automation. I automate and we automate as a company almost everything that we can. And I would say I maybe have an attitude that over-optimizes and kind of over-automates a little bit. And so I have to pull back sometimes and ask myself, how important is it that this thing is automatic? But, uh, you know, other companies, even in Toronto, where I used to work, invoicing each month is a huge task that takes multiple people a couple of days to get out the door. At our company, we've automated so much of it that it takes me about two hours once a month to get all our invoices out accurately. Um, Payroll. We use Gusto. Um, you know, I'd be happy to provide a list, but there are probably 10 to 15 software products that we subscribe to that have made life much easier for us and way easier to be more efficient. Oh, okay. So you have, you have the Cortex platform, which is its own software in itself, but then you have like a full-on stack of, like you said, up to 15 different softwares that you're using to help keep your main software running smoothly. That's right. Yeah. And keep our company running. So like we have one for payroll, we have one for accounting, um, we have G Suite, you know, for our email and calendars and all that stuff. We have Zoom, uh, just like, you know, we're using now. Um, and I, I think I even posted on LinkedIn a, a couple of weeks ago, a list of all of the products that I find valuable. Zapier is one of my favorites. If you've oh, never yeah. heard of them. Definitely. Um, yeah, we use that religiously to create our kind of executive dashboard that pulls in all of our key metrics. And so we just don't have people doing kind of mundane things wherever we can avoid it. We, we try to automate out of that. Nice. So by being able to automate things, you're able to co- accomplish a lot without necessarily having to have a, a large team. And you're being able to utilize the size of your team right now to still be productive and efficient with whatever you guys are trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, and as a team, we still feel like without growing headcount, uh, we can grow our employee or our customer base, um, which is a nice position to be in. There were many times at Entrada where we didn't feel that way. And we felt like, holy cow, if we can't hire 10 people, we're going to all drown in the work that we have. And um, yeah, it's just not a place that we're at. We're very efficient right now, at least. I'm sure that could change, but it's it's cultural for us. Nice. So you've mentioned that early on, you kind of tapped into the network that you had grown through your healthcare experience to kind of grow this platform. 
But after you tapped out that initial network, how did you go about engaging and finding more customers, more of your target audience and getting them on the platform? Yeah, great question, because this was one of my personal biggest learning moments at Cortex. Um, I didn't realize how how much easier it is for founders to sell their product than handing over your sales process to sales reps that you hire and -hmm. having them figure out how to sell it. Um, In SaaS, you'll often hear this concept of creating a repeatable uh, playbook for sales so that they can kind of just follow a formula and bring sales in the door. And so much of that was just innate in Riley and I. We just had practiced enough times that we knew how to sell our product. And so it actually took us about a year to transition from founder sales to our sales rep sales. Um, And we kind of had a year of basically flat growth because as founders, we needed to work on some other things to keep the business growing. And we really needed our sales team to be bringing in customers. Um, I would say that in hindsight, the biggest takeaway was that we really had to clarify the return on investment, the ROI that our product brought to our customers in very simple terms. Um, That being clear and then in our marketing content, on our website, in every sales demo, um, if it was clear, that is what ultimately started bringing sales in the door. And it took us a year to really um, formalize that and build that into a sales model that our sales team could use. Nice. So really just focusing on your your brand messaging and how your product or your service actually affects and impacts your customers' lives versus trying to just teach your sales rep, here are the key features we have and how can we explain that value? Yeah. And I would even add down to the dollar level, meaning we now feel very proficient at explaining how much value in dollars our platform can bring our customers. Um, it, it, it was hard to get to that point, but yeah, that was the key, key learning. Nice. Okay. So, I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit of learning, the learning curve, and it seems like you guys are having a lot of success growing Cortex and evolving it into a platform for everyone to use, but can you kind of speak on some obstacles and some challenges that you've faced and had to overcome in this whole journey? Yeah. Um, I think as a company, one obstacle is the one I just mentioned about transitioning from founder sales to a team, sales team. And I think that's actually common for software companies to kind of experience that. That was a big one for us. I think personally, another learning that I've noticed is that having your, and this is kind of related to that one, but I think marketing needs to come before sales in the hiring um, cadence. So, you know, you're initially a founding team. We then went and hired sales reps and wanted, expected them to create their own content and, and generate sales. And in hindsight, we should have hired marketing to, you know, create content, push content out to the world to make people more aware of us, help us with our branding, help us with our presence, and then bring in sales once those tools were in place so that they could succeed. Um, and then I think a third learning for me was um, how important it is to retain your staff when you're young. I mean, I think employee retention is always important for companies. It's very expensive to lose people. But especially when you don't have solidified processes and policies and you're not a mature company, 
so much of your company's value lives in the head of your employees. And so keeping them and keeping them happy and engaged and motivated is even more critical in an early stage, I would say, um, in some ways than later stage companies. Okay. So retaining the staff. So how are you going about doing that? Do you kind of just like start them off with a small task or a small certain amount of responsibility? And then as you grow, you give them more responsibility as well? Uh, That's definitely part of it. Um, I will say, first off, because we were talking about obstacles, we have not been perfect at this. We have lost staff that I wish we hadn't. You know, there are people that left that in hindsight, man, it would have been nice if we could have figured out how to make it work. But um, I think where I'm at today is that what's most important is that remembering each person is a human and getting to know them as a human and what motivates them, what frustrates them, where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. It's really important on a personal level. And so we, I teach our kind of internal manager training course. We don't have many managers because we're so small, but it's content I've collected over the years in my different experiences. And it basically boils down to that understanding these people and then crafting the job and the responsibilities around them. I'm a big, big proponent of the um, strength Gallup Strengths Finder, or just in essence, this idea that we should work where we have strengths. And so we work hard to put people in positions where they can add value, even if it's not their job title. Um, but if they like it and or are good at it, we try and make it possible for them to do it. Okay. So instead of like finding out their strengths and weaknesses and having them focus on their weakness to make it better, you find out what their strengths are and have them double down on that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of improving weaknesses unless they are cultural weaknesses And even then, and so cultural would be, you know, they lie or they treat their other teammates poorly um, or they talk too loud and disrupt everyone else or something like that. And even those, I'm actually more of a fan of, you know, pushing those kinds of folks out of the organization if they don't want to change who they are. Um, But yeah, double down on strengths. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about the importance of marketing before sales especially when you're hiring, is that because most times companies, especially early on, they just want to focus on generating as much revenue as they can? That's right. People who can do that. that. That's definitely what was going through our mind. You know, we'd taken some investment early on and we'd made commitments to ourselves and to our, our investor partners that we were going to grow. And in our minds that meant, well, Josh and Riley need to work on some other things to keep the company growing. So we need sales guys or gals to keep the company growing. And um, I wish in hindsight, we had taken some time to invest in that content, branding, marketing, and messaging so that the sales team could at least have more of the tools they needed to sell <laughs> rather than expect. It's, a, it's kind of a unique salesperson that's willing to create their own content. Um, and uh, typically marketing is better at that. Oh, okay. So when you guys made that switch to focus more on marketing, how what kind of content were you guys putting out to be able to grow your brand awareness and engage with your audience? Yeah, that comes back to the ROI. We really zeroed in and all even the three kind of pillars of our return on investment for our customers is number one, we help them reacquire past patients that they've cared for that need their care again. Um, in other words, loyalty. So patient loyalty is very difficult in healthcare for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons just being that HIPAA 
makes it difficult. Like marketing and healthcare is very tricky, um, but that's something we're very good at and we do in a compliant way. Um, the second pillar is readmission reduction or prevention, basically helping patients not keep returning back to the hospital, which is the level of care where the most kind of negative outcomes can happen because hospitals are, you know, very, they're, they're set up for acute interventions. Um, and also it's just not a pleasant experience for patients to be in the hospital. And so preventing readmissions is that second pillar. And funny enough, even hospitals are incentivized to reduce their readmissions, as you probably know, because of government mandate. Mm. Um, and then the third is improving patient satisfaction. So on our phone calls, we don't just ask clinical follow-up, but we also ask, how was the care? How happy were you with the team? Were there any team members that went above and beyond? And providing that satisfaction insight back to our customers is pretty valuable for them for a variety of reasons. So th those are the three ROI pillars. And, you know, it was easy for me to articulate those just now, but candidly, two years ago, we were not clear on that at all. It, it took <laughs> us a while to zero in on that. Nice. Well, I mean, consistency breeds clarity. So that's right. Yeah. You're able to articulate that pretty well. Um, but going from just someone working in healthcare and technology to starting their business and just understanding the journey and the struggles that you're going through, what do you think, what sort of mindset and perspective do you have to have in order to get to where you're at? That's a great question. I think if I was giving advice to somebody thinking about starting a healthcare um, technology company, I would say that the the team, whoever the founding team is, does need to have some clinical experience, um, whether that's administrative like mine or even more preferably like hands-on clinical experience, um, either as a tech or as a nurse or as a doctor, something like that. Uh, and then um, since it is technology, I think I'm skeptical of folks without previous enterprise technology experience starting health technology companies. Mm. Um, and if not at the founder level, the first technical hire needs to be someone who knows and understands security um, very well. Um, we constantly think about that. The, the data that we have is sensitive. Patients don't just want it out there. They certainly don't want us to get hacked. And so um, security is even more difficult in a healthcare technology company than almost any other industry. I mean, even it's even more sensitive than financial data because of the way the regulations are written. Mm, interesting. So it's either you're in healthcare going to technology or technology transitioning into healthcare. What, which one do you think would be, I mean, it's not easy, but which one do you think would have a smoother transition? Well, I, I would be a big fan of finding, you know, one of each and bringing those people together as co-founders. Um, ah. I think that's totally fine. You just need that expertise somewhere. But uh, I would say that it is much easier to go from um, technology to healthcare than the reverse. Health, uh, technology is an industry that's not easy to break into later in your career, from my experience, what I've seen with people. But when you get a technical degree and get a technical job out of college, um, for me, transitioning into healthcare wasn't insurmountable. And I don't think it would be for other people either. I think that's doable. And I, I think healthcare appreciates some of the thinking and innovation that happens in technology. Hmm. Okay. 
Gotcha. So we're kind of approaching the end of the podcast, but I like to finish it off with a more kind of laid back and fun exercise. I like to call it the rapid fire round. So I'm just yeah. going to ask you a couple questions. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be related to healthcare, but just going to ask you a couple questions. And you give me whatever answer you come up with. Okay. You got it. First question. Favorite book of all time. I'm going to go with um, Red Rising. That's fiction, but it's the only book um, outside of scripture that I've read, I think, four times. <laughs> so Red Rising. <laughs> okay. What is one goal that you want to accomplish this year? This year, 2020, I want to teach at least one collegiate class. Nice. And then what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Um. So 20, you know, I was in college, um, actually 20, I was on a mission, but I was college age. I would advise myself to focus on technical skill sets. I think it's really important and technical doesn't necessarily mean coding, but develop your technical, um, tool belt because those skills are much harder to learn when you're older and the softer skills of business leadership and management can be learned from books and experience it's more difficult to get good technical education on your own um, without uh, a degree or some kind of paid program. And so don't be afraid of getting a deep technical skill set early on at that age. I think it's very valuable. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Josh, I just want to thank you for hopping on and sharing your knowledge and your expertise and what you're doing over at Cortex and pretty much just giving us an insight on your journey and all the struggles and all the accomplishments that you've been facing along the way. And I think this was very valuable. So I, just Rodney, I appreciate it. Thank you. Nice. So before we end, is there anything you want to share? Anything you want to promote? Where can people find you? Yeah. Cortex can be found at cortexhc.com. That's HC like healthcare. And we love talking to anybody. If there's anyone out there looking to partner, especially, we're always looking for partnerships. We believe that healthcare is going to be solved by lots of smart people. And so uh, if you're starting a company, I'm happy to share any insights I can. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks for joining, Josh. Okay. Thanks, Rodney. No problem. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.